New Year, same problem, the patriarchy. Ever heard of the term, if you don't have anything nice to say, you shouldn't say anything at all? Well, on this podcast, we have a lot of not-so-nice things to say, and we're going to say them and not apologize. It is urgent now more than ever to have honest conversations about how we are raising the young generation differently. This year, the Patriarchy Podcast is about trying to create a fairer world for young women, young women and men. And we are stronger more than ever because I am not alone. I am joined by our new co-host and co-author of the book, The Perils of Patriarchy, Tuli Nduvane. How are you doing, girl? Hey, what a beautiful intro. Oh my gosh. I was like, oh, this is so, this is so full. It's so juicy. <laughs> yeah, I try. I try. I know, I know, I know our audience loves the, the intros and I know they like, you know, the intros, they have some, a little bit of, you know, information that I can just, you know, tell people about and people can listen. You know, they love that. They love that. Love How are that. you doing? How are you doing? I'm good. I'm really good. Uh, besides this gloomy weather um you know what really just calls for everyone to be in bed at all times the fact that we actually have to show up and go to work and do stuff is ridiculous to me but otherwise i'm good i'm really excited for this podcast and you know everything that we're going to be talking about um yeah man i'm just excited how are you candace I'm excited too. I know we haven't recorded this in a while. I think last year was last year. Let's mm. not even talk. Let's not even like lie about. Well, let's not go. Yeah, let's not go down that road. Nah, <laughs> we don't need to. Was a lot. It was a lot, and I think also we went through a lot in terms of like gender-based violence and gender inequality mm. in South Africa. You know, every year there's always something that's trending, and we're always just met with ignorant mm. rape apologists, and it yep. just doesn't change and so i mean i mentally took a break from having to talk about the patriarchy because the patriarchy was just too much mm. um so now i'm i'm glad that this year we're changing it up a bit differently like every month is just going to be a lesson to learn um for younger people to just know what it is that they can do to be different because i think mm-hmm. the hope that we have is in making sure that the younger generation can change because clearly we and some people, you know, just mm. don't want to change their ways. So yeah. let's just hope that the younger people can. Yeah. Um, so I'm really excited. And and and, and as usual, our, you know, our, our, the nice thing about the Patriarchy podcast is that we always get like really interesting people from different backgrounds. Um, you know, some people who may not even agree about about uh, feminism or patriarchy, but we we, we can constructively disagree mm. but agree at the same time you know yeah so that's what yeah. i love about this platform and i'm really excited to have more people join and more people share their views and i'm also excited to fight with people i mean <laughs> i'm always in for a good fight i'm always ready i'm always i'm always ready i almost also violently attacked my mic i'm always ready i'm so ready to fight people so that's that's the only way we're gonna learn really like obviously mm. we choose peace here we choose peace but if push comes to shove, yeah, and we're meet with some problematic people, yeah. yep, we will we throw will... hands, <laughs> Great. virtual Great. hands through virtual. a screen, of course, it's virtual. <laughs> like, <laughs> so today's topic. I know our editor is going to be like, "Yo, this is a long intro. When do I cut the music out? You can cut the music out here. Yeah, it's fine. Whatever. Keep the music. <laughs> I don't care." But we're going to get straight into it. Um, 
I think for the past two months, I've been reading a lot of feminist literature. And I think the feminist literature that I've been reading has been very self-introspective, if that's even a word, mm. I think it's the word, where you I'm have sure it to is. Read. It has to be. Self-introspective. It isn't. We're making it a word. <laughs> self-introspective. Um, where it really like tackles and gives you an, a deeper in-depth of your life as a younger girl, in particular about how certain phrases can have an impact on you ultimately behaving in society. Mm. So I remember in particular that um, coming from a high school background that we were very taught, like we were taught to be like sensible, be quiet um, and only respond when being spoken to, you know, never, never challenge authority, especially if it's from a male figure. Mm. Then you spend about like what, five, six years in that high school setting where you're being sort of molded to be the sensible girl and then you enter into different spaces outside of high school where it's sort of in your face to challenge, you know, authority, speak openly, don't, don't uh, keep quiet, fight back, question, right? Mm. Uh, and I think that's, it's, 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 it's a bit difficult. I think it can be a very difficult transition for younger people coming out of a high school setting where it's been so ingrained in their heads and then they enter university spaces, whatever spaces they choose to get into. And then they're like, be unapologetically loud. So how do we ultimately unlearn these um, problematic behaviors that quieten us down as women to therefore unleash our unapologetically loud feminist self? I know it's such mm. a loaded question. It's such a loaded yeah. question. But I think just in the simple things... I don't know, just unpacking that I think is very important to just unlearn these mm. these narratives. Yeah. So how what was what was the first awakening moment for you to be like, damn, I've been quiet for a very long time. I'm gonna be loud now. I I don't even really remember because I think that your feminism is in I write about this in the chap in my chapter in the book. I say like you, you, fem you do feminism when you ask why I must wash the dishes and why my brother can play outside. You know, you do feminism when you're like, ah, mama, I don't want to, you know, serve, you know, dad this food. Like, why don't you give it to him? Why doesn't he come to the kitchen and make it himself? You know, mm -hmm. and those are the ways that you feminize or you do feminism as the verb of it. So I, I don't really know. All I know is that I've always been super inquisitive i've always been like nah but why <laughs> and i think this this topic is so important because i have a lot of friends who aren't necessarily loud in the ways that i am loud mm -hmm. and i think it's also important for us to unpack that like so many women are not loud in the in the in the you general way of just like speaking out, standing on rooftops, telling, you know, the patriarchy to, to leave me alone as much as I might be. I have friends who are, are quieter with their voices or more gentle in their approach of dismantling patriarchy in their own lives and mm -hmm. being feminists, but not necessarily needing to burn bras and stand on the rooftop. You know what I mean? So. And I think there's strength in all of that. I think there's strength yeah. in, in, in a gentle approach. I think there's strength in standing on a roof and shouting at the top of your lungs. There's strength in all of that. And all of that is valid. There's space for all of that to exist. But I also know that 
certain spaces require a different kind of approach to it, right? So I, I mean, I'm not in the corporate world, but I know that a lot of women in the corporate world have learned to, to maybe quieten down or be a lot more gentle in their approach or be a lot more strategic rather in their approach to, to how they interact with men in, this, in, in, in the workplace and patriarchy and, you know, those kinds of challenges. But, you know, to go back to your question about when was the first time, I think the first time I kind of knew that this was wrong was in high school. I mean, I went to a Christian school and Same. for Sivvy's day, <laughs> for yeah. Sivvy's day, we had, um, we had, we weren't allowed to show our bra straps. Like if you're wearing a tank top, mm-hmm. you couldn't show your bra straps. And I remember one of our teachers saying, or our principal at the time who was a woman said, you know, you need to think about the boys and the married teachers in here. Like you can't, you can't be showing your bra straps. That's not okay for you to be showing your bra straps. And I remember my friends and I saying, isn't it so weird that we have to be mindful of our male teachers who are married. Why? But mm-hmm. you, you grown ass man, mm-hmm. you are so grown. Mm. Surely the issue is you looking at school children. Surely, you know, the math that was the not adding time. up. Exactly. The math is not mathing. And that was the first time I was like, actually, this is really weird. Um, but then again, I continued on and didn't really say much because I was deputy head girl. So I was also the police girl, policing girls with their bra straps. And I got to varsity. And that was a whole other encounter with patriarchy. And I think varsity was when I actually found my voice. And I was like, actually, nah, this is weird. And I'm going to say something about it, you know? So, yeah, that was that's really been for me, yeah. It's so interesting that how, like, because when I have these conversations with my friends, it's always interesting how our first, like, in-our-face encounters with patriarchy is in high school. Mm. And this is why I always tend to challenge high schools to say, do you understand that you are the microcosm of society and you have a responsibility in in building and nurturing future leaders, future whoever. And so if you are telling girls that their skirts are not, is it, was it the four finger? Was it the, do you also do the four finger Yes, we had four finger rules. And then if it's not the four fingers or whatever, then it's too short. And then now the worry is about what male teachers might do to you. That in itself is violence. You are essentially saying that these young girls will be responsible for the violence that they they receive because of how short their skirts are. That is rape culture. Why are you not changing that? Then they get all scared. They start start to... so, so start, start to sort of like justify it to say, no, but we have, you know, an ethos of like making sure the girls look presentable and neat. It's like, okay, now presentable and neat is in connotation or in relation to how it um, relates to men and the male gaze, mm. right? So yep. we need to cover our, our shoulders. We need to make sure that, you know, um, there's nothing showing here. Our knees, our, our skirts need to be covering the knees. It's like, why do we live? for male get the male gaze and you're yep. teaching young girls about this and that is problematic in itself so then when you enter spaces like universities where you see girls wearing the shortest shorts or crop tops or even the longest skirts and they still feel empowered it is just it can throw you off because now you're just sort of unlearning the past mm. five or six years of an institution that you spent five days every week 
it's yep. it's scary. It is a scary process to unlearn it. And I think we're not having enough conversations about what does empowerment look like. I don't know mm. if you've seen uh, these Instagram posts of these illustrated women who's like, she got an, a, a, what is it, a positive pregnancy test and then... The other lady didn't have a pregnancy test, but they were still empowered. Then they mm. said, this is what a working woman looks like. And the working woman is at work. And, in the, and, and then the next thing was the working woman is at, at, at home working with their kids. Like yeah. we need to, we need to, we need to start thinking about the fact that in whatever setting, what, no matter what clothing, no matter whatever happens, what, you know, like if a woman is empowered, that is, that is, that is her agency. That is her free will. Yeah. Yeah. And so if high schools are not allowing that self-expression to take form in early, uh, you know, settings, then what you're getting is you're getting kids who are so afraid to tackle the narrative of feminism mm-hmm. because what feminism does is it, it just challenges the authority they've, they've spent five or six years and it's, it's scary. I don't know about you, but when I was in high school and a lot of my high school friends can, can definitely agree. I was that loud feminist girl. <laughs> I, guys, I literally, if I could, I could maybe chant bell hooks. I, I, I would also chant Maya Angelou. I was that girl. I was that girl. And yes, I would be problematic because I was loud. I was challenging, mm-hmm. but I wasn't mm-hmm. willing to make myself small because People told me to. It's, mm. it's weird. Why? Why should I? Why should I do that? So, it's, But that's it's, so it's, interesting, Candace. Where, where did you learn that? I mean, I think it's such a privilege for you to have already known your voice in high school and for you to have already been able to articulate those things because I think we all struggled. I struggled, I know, with the language. Like, yes, this feels wrong, but I don't know what it is that is wrong about it because... I learn it at home. I see my mom, you know, bending to the patriarchy at home. I see it in church. I see it at school. And that's where I spend all my time. Yeah. So where did you learn all of that? I'm really interested to know. I have it. I have a very intense dad who was like, challenge everything, question Mm. everything. Don't be that girl in history. if If your history teacher tells you this. And you know that it, something's not right. Ask why. Yes. So I was, I was, I was embedded with critical thinking from a very, very young age, and that was because of my father. And yes, I can admit I come from a patriarchal home, but it was a thing of like I could equally see that the sharing of responsibilities and duties and decision making was an equal thing rather than mm. a my dad does everything. So like I think yes, ultimately my mom was the one who always cooks and cleans, but my dad also has the shared responsibility of maintaining the household, of taking care of of his kids and so does my mom. So I saw mm. that equal shared responsibility from a very young age. Um and so when I also used to do a lot of like how can I say? When I used to do like homework sessions with my dad and he used to tweet to me, he would be like ask why? Like don't be quiet. And also I came from, I came from a high school where there was only like what, five, five black students in our matric grade. So it was important to always ask why and not just sort of go back into the shadows. So ask mm. why, critically challenge as well, research further. So yes, they've given you this extra res- this, this textbook, but Google, right? You have the access mm. to do that. And I think that was so important for me. And that's why I'm such a huge proponent for critical thinking because in high school, they don't teach you to critically think. They just teach you read pages from five to eight, 
yes and regurgitate, and regurgitate. <laughs> yeah so for me that's why i i think that's why i became so unapologetically loud it was because i was always like questioning what we were being taught and yes mm. it sometimes would be like okay candace is now oh here goes candace ranting mm. but i think sometimes the teachers would appreciate the fact that there's a student that's actually taking the the extra time to go out there and research the resources rather than just you know submitting and then i also have to like credit dramatic arts I found my voice by being on stage. I found my voice by being able to articulate things that I related to because dramatic arts gave you that, gave you that platform to say, find whatever monologue or dialogue or whatever movie you're watching and, and just articulate that in, in your, in your own way. And I was able to do that. And I, I just, it just made me feel like feminism speaks to me deeply because I can sort of relate. These are women who have voices that need to be heard. And so by me articulating these voices on a stage, it feels like all the women in me are speaking through me. I don't know yeah. if it sounds weird, but I just, I just, I found that strength in that. So yeah, I think it definitely, the background that you come from definitely molds you to the the person that you'll be and i can acknowledge that a lot of a lot of the times people come from backgrounds where they're like hey don't question just do it you know mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. nike did not sponsor us for that line by the way just do it just, do it. <laughs> just wash the dishes just cook just you know uh kneel when your elders come just do it and i think mm-hmm. that's for me i i guess maybe that's why sometimes i have difficulty when when my parents are like just do it and i'm like but why and also you can't you can't have taught me like to question and question and question but when it comes to you i'm not supposed to question i think i i had that conundrum a lot my dad also was the type of person to tell me to constantly you know investigate and ask questions and i found that in spaces where he was telling me things to do i couldn't ask why and it was like the you're the very same you're the very same nigga who tells me to mm-hmm. ask questions question, question everything but else question but not my authority not me it makes no sense it makes no sense but i must say another thing that really um has been embedded in me is the woman in my family like i come from a, a family of really strong matriarchs like extremely strong like although my grandmother was married to my grandfather and I, you know, grew up with him and it was a very patriarchal household. My grandmother just had a strength about her that was insane. You know, like my grand till this day, you know, talks about how there's a, there's a position of strength as a woman, you know, when you take your place as a woman, there's a strength in that, you know, today I can, you know, unpack that and be like hmm that's weird but as a kid my grand showed me that there's so much power in playing your role or playing your position right um which you know today i'm kind of like hmm, what's my role what's my position i don't know about that but my grand was was just insane is till this day so insane in articulating herself and if there was ever a squabble in the household, best believe her voice is going to be heard and you're going to hear it very clearly. You know, she tells me a story about how my grandfather 
wanted to leave her you know this is very recently she told me the story and my grandfather passed on a couple of years ago so she reminisces about that but teaches me so much in that so she says he was threatening to leave her and saying i'm tired of you i'm done whatever and she said leave she said leave i'm tired of the threats i'm tired of you saying you you hate being here leave I'm mm. I'm not I'm not I'm not waiting around for you to make my life better. I'm good. I'm good. Leave. Mm. Don't just speak mm. it. Do it. Do it. Mm. Do I'm, it. Ready. I'm ready. And there were so many spaces like that where she was like, we got into these insane fights, and I would literally just say, Go ahead. Go ahead. Do it and see what will come from that. And I I learned so much from like seeing women who who are misbehaved, seeing women who say, okay, that's how you want to treat me. Okay, this is how I'm going to treat you. You know, mm-hmm. seeing women who are not just going to sit down and take whatever it is that comes with the patriarchy, but they're constantly going to push the envelope and push the boundaries. And that's, I guess, what made my understanding of my position in the world and how I, I, I there's so much strength in my position in the world was because of the woman mm-hmm. in my life. Um, and I guess the men in their lives also allowed them the space to be, you know, those loud women who who are strong, yeah. who make decisions. There was so much in my house growing up where, like, my dad can't even say anything. Like, I can't ask my dad permission to do anything because my mom will tell me whether I can do that or not, <laughs> you know? And for the longest time, I was like, this is what I want. Like, I, I want to be considered as an equal partner in making decisions in the house i want to be considered before you go and make a decision off about something else and i'm left in the dark because i grew up around spaces where the men in my family really feared the women in in their lives like they fear them till this day like it's like i I don't want to get on her bad side just say what she tells you to do leave me Mm. out of it type of thing yeah um So so that's what really helped me find my strength and find my voice. But I also do understand that there are spaces where that's all that you know is a man leads and a woman is to follow, a woman is to, you know, bend and 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 you know, bend to the will of the man and and serve a man and do absolutely nothing else. So I also understand that it becomes harder to to fight the system when you don't know what you're fighting for or you don't know what the other side of it is you don't know like what am i fighting for like this is like this is my mom was fine i was fine you know and this is just the way that it is you know so so that i think your 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 background and the your cultural background and where you grew up and where you went to school all of that informs the voice how loud yeah. the voice is, what the voice says, and, and and the strength you're able to find in it. I mean, I agree and relate with you completely. Like, I found my freedom in dramatic arts, um, and I completely understand, like, feeling like all the women inside of you are able to speak through, you know, you as a vessel. So I get that. But there are so many people who don't have the same opportunity to be able to stand and speak and be heard. That's true. That is so true. And I think the, 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 you know, the background, the cultural background as well, it applies to men as well. Um, but I think there's something that goes wrong with the learnings of manhood and the, the, the projection through violence and aggression with men. Mm. And I guess that's something we'll get, get into it like through later episodes. But I think one principle that 
that is always within us is knowing to be a decent human being. Mm. You know that you want to treat your, your counterparts the same way you want to be treated. And I think the same should go for men as well, irrespective of what background you came from, irrespective of who was present in your life. I think the way you treat people, you need to always think about, do I want to be treated this way? Mm. And that goes for the same in terms of mental, emotional, physical abuse. And I just think yeah. we just need to acknowledge that. But what I'm trying to get to is, have you ever had a moment in your life where, because this was me, like, okay, I was like, I, I was a feminist, still am a feminist. I, I read a lot of literature in high school. Um, and I learned that, you know, through feminism, women should always sort of fight back, especially when mm. they're being challenged with things that oppress them. Mm. But my understanding of oppression, I think, when I was in high school was that, you know, you shouldn't cook, you shouldn't clean for a man, you shouldn't serve a man. So it was very, you know, I would just not do anything for men. But then when I would go back home or go back to, like, my um, grandmother's house or, you know, where, whichever elder's place and I was expected to serve, I, I, I was I was a bit confused. I was like, what's going on here? Because my feminism tells me I shouldn't do this. But what am I doing? I'm serving. Wow. Yep. You know, there's so no feminism I, here. It's, you know, it just, so at some point I had, I had issues because I was like, does my feminism cater for my culture? Because it's something mm. that I can't really get rid of. Like, mm. my, I'm, one thing is that I'm not going to get rid of my feminism. It's something I tr strongly identify by. But mm -hmm. my culture is something that I can't also get rid of. It's a part of my identity, right? Yeah. And it was only in second year varsity when I was doing feminism and political studies that I came across different strands of feminism that said the feminism that we come across today does not necessarily cater for the African feminism or any specific cultural yes. feminism that you stand for, right? Mm. So for me, what was important and something that I still stand by is that culture should not be, or culture is not an excuse to justify the oppression of women, right? And I think right. this is, this is, this is a conversation I'm still having with my friends who, who still believe that, you know, as a woman, you do this and as a man. And I'm like, okay, I hear you. I hear you. But so long as I'm not being oppressed, I, maybe I can, right? And I think that it, this problem exists in all societies. Um, it exists in corporate culture. It exists in wherever. But I just think what is important is to really unpack whether there is space for feminism and my culture, especially in South Africa. So I don't know if you've ever been through that moment or if you had that like epiphany that my feminism cannot cater for my um, culture or my culture cannot feminism cater for my feminism. Like, I don't know. What no, definitely. Mm. No, definitely. I, I go home to my grand's house and, and, and there is no feminism here. There is not enough room in this house for my feminism and my culture, my feminism and the instruction to serve, um, or this natural instinct I must have to wake up at five in the morning and mop the roof. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, but I also think it's so important for us as feminists, feminists to understand that feminism is a lot of it is in your choice, right? Mm. Because the idea is that I'm not, I, I'm, I, I believe that I shouldn't be oppressed. I believe that I should be able to choose. I believe I should be able to, um, 
act freely in those choices. And I think it's very easy for us to assume that a woman who is cultural and chooses to serve her husband or be the nurturer or be, you know, caring and all the, the, the stereotypical things that, that women should do, that you're oppressed. And we assume mm. that that's oppression. And a lot of the times, I think we also need to step outside the wokeness of feminism and also understand that, like, feminism is my choice. And feminism yes. is understanding that women can operate in their different forms of feminism and their different definitions mm-hmm. of feminism, right? Because I was definitely, when I first found my feminism, I was like, you know, everyone who serves their husband and you go down on your knees and the, you know, Muslim woman who wear hijabs and you're just being oppressed. And that was in my violent stage, you know, my very infant phases of feminism, not understanding that feminism is, is so multifaceted. And for me, feminism looked one way and it was, we are not doing anything for men ever, ever. We're just not doing that. So... I definitely have run into that conundrum many a times, having to serve my uncles, having to serve my dad, having to serve, you know, my grandfather when he was still around. And it, 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 it's a hard one. And the choice I've made, <laughs> I've made a choice to understand that there is no room for my feminism in that context. I am also not no longer in the phase of wanting to constantly argue with my grandmother, constantly Mm. argue with my aunts because they've lived 70 years of living in the system that they believe in so much. And that has, it's completely flawless, the system of being a woman and Mm. knowing your place. So I'm not about to come here with my 25 year old knowledge and sure I'm well read. Sure. I have a degree. Sure. I know all of this stuff, but I'm definitely not going to convince a 74 year old woman that uh, mama, you need to say no when he tells you to serve you, you know, like it's not going to happen. So I, Mm. I have, I've made my choice and I'm, and I'm, and I'm really resolute in the choice to go home to Port Elizabeth and serve my uncles and serve my grandfather and, and Mm. do what is expected of me in that house, in that context. Am I elated to serve them? Absolutely not. But I'm definitely not going to huff and puff every single time and use my energy on people who are not trying to hear me. <laughs> They're not trying to hear me here. So so when I leave Johannesburg and I leave my little comfort zone here, I leave my feminism here. Well, the active form of my feminism that speaks and shouts, I leave it yeah. here. And... um I leave, you know, the 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 one that's inside <laughs> that it's always in my heart. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's that's yeah. the position I've chosen. Yeah, I think for me, I when I when I came across the fact that there is a feminism that caters for culture because Western feminism dictates or assumes that culture is oppressive to women, but when you actually research culture and understand that it's it's a set of norms and ideologies and beliefs and all that jazz, but there's certain practices that can actually, you know, sort of pay tribute to to your elders and to your ancestors. I think that form of respect for me is very yeah. important. And yeah. I want to have that balance between the two of saying, yes, I feel that the need that I need to be, I can be a feminist, but I know that I can maybe tone it down a little so I don't have to be like up in your face to say, patriarchy must fall in the kitchen, right? I do know my I do know my place and then my place is in respecting my culture, respecting my mm-hmm. elders, respecting their, their sets of beliefs and notions, right? I think my only issue is that when culture starts being exploitative, then that's when I'll probably start being very, very loud, right? 100%. So, 
like a menstrual background when culture sets uh, start setting a thing of women might isolate in huts and those huts are not equally like they're not well sanitized then mm. i will use my to say this is infringing on my human dignity yeah so i think yeah it's the two-way street of saying i respect you you respect me and and we're not infringing on your human dignity then I then I can I be then I can be like okay cool my culture is here my feminism is here and I will do mm. it but when it starts to infringe on human dignity then I'll be loud that's mm. when I'll be loud I think yeah that's yeah. where you have to be aware of the fact that you know in certain instances there will be women who experience this culture that is exploitative and they've sort of they sort of see it as a thing of like I'm doing it it's my culture I'm expected to do it but the thing the the, the key word you mentioned there is choice. Now you need to ask whether those women had the choice to partake in it, right? Because if the choice is not given to them and they're forced to do it, then we need to be having a whole different conversation about that. Yeah, I think that's yeah. where we need to actually say, you know, our culture needs to see each and every single person as an individual that has agency and they need to choose, not just based on the set of their gender and their expectations, but they can choose to partake in this thing. And that is up to them. I think that is, that is, that's just something that I think we need to be having more critical conversations. And I, I'm my friend who is, um, he, he runs this, a foundation where he really tackles what culture is meant to be. And I think I respected that work because you know i'd always say to him well you know the young girls who start menstruating and they expected to have sex and case it in what is that about and he's like no that is exploitive culture that isn't what culture is meant to be when yeah. a young girl starts menstruating it's a celebration and i'm like so why mm. are we not having more conversations about that why are we always focusing on the exploitative nature and he's like well you need to focus on the exploitative nature to tell people that what they're doing is wrong and to show them what's actually right so he focuses his time and energy on just really showing people what culture really is and i think i've re- mm. I've, I've seen it differently now and he always just says it's that choice you make that choice and that's what's important giving young women in particular the choice you know, so I, mm. I also I remember in high school, I was like, no man's going to pay for me to be married. I remember I was like, no man is paying nothing, nothing. To I am not for sale. How I'm dare you sale. put me on sale? <laughs> I'm not property. This is not a, you know, like, I, girl, I was problematic. And then yeah. I think as I grew older and really understood that um so in in our we don't really have the bola but it's it's really just the 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 the, the, the practice of having the two families come together there yeah. is a bride yeah. price but the bride price is rather a, a thank you gift to yes. the family yes. Yes. for gr- letting this woman grow up you know so like and and helping her grow up the way she's grown up right so it's not mm-hmm. a thing of like i'm paying to own her it's mm. a, a thank you it's a thank you that was important. I was like, okay, I can see now why it's important to have two families from two different backgrounds to come together to be one family. And there is some ancestral elements in certain cultures where, you know, you have to slaughter and all that jazz. But for me, I was like, okay, I could do this now. You know, like <laughs> I I don't think I'm having a for sale. You know, I'm not some property. I can see it now. And I mm. think that's when the exploitative culture comes in where you now have a man who will be like, but I paid for you. 
And you're like, actually, you didn't pay for me. You paid my family. You paid my family to thanking me for to me. Thank for them. me the woman I am. I'm not your property. Mm. Mm. And that, that, that comes with awareness. That comes with more conversations about this is what the practice of Lebola or bride price is. And so, yeah, I, I don't know. What are your views about, what are your views about like the whole Lebola thing? I'm pretty sure you also were like, no, 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 no. Um, yeah, same page as you. I definitely was that girl. I also think like Model C schools, predominantly white schools, obviously also have such an impact on the way that we view our own cultures, um, ancestral worship. I mean, particularly being in a Christian school, I I had to, you know, learn to grow to understand that like the spiritual realm is a really real thing choose to believe in it in a Christian aspect or ancestrally, all of that is real, right? And all of that exists. And, 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 and there's nothing dark or strange about it, the way that our, a lot of our white schools try to make us believe, you know? They try to make it seem like super primitive and like it's dark and it's weird and, you know, why are you paying for someone and are you somebody's property? And it's like, today at 25 year old Tuli is like wow okay I see what you're trying to do that's that's actually not at all what it is and I think what you're saying is like having the information and making the choice is where your freedom is and what you're saying is like it's so important for us to 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 have the knowledge the understanding to have the different perspectives um, as opposed to making these huge sweeping statements about our cultures um, and allowing that to just kind of exist because it really is baseless. Like it really, we human beings have taken culture and obviously culture shifts and it changes, but we've taken this culture and we make it seem like it's so, you know, like, like even in the way that a man will say, I paid for you, you know, you know, I, I lobolad you, you must do this for me. That, that is such a warped way of like why a dowry and a, bride price is actually paid like you said it's it's a it's a token of thanksgiving it's a token of appreciation to say thank you for raising her thank you you know that you've made sure that she's educated thank you that you've made sure that she 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 you know is capable and can stand on her own two feet so i'm definitely on the on a different on the opposite side now i'm by my future husband is definitely paying lobola <laughs> uh the higher the better because he, he better be very grateful because wow yes. my parents put a lot into this okay facts. so <laughs> facts you know so so yeah that's really where i'm at and and you are so like right about the exploitative culture that comes with it. And I think that's true with everything, right? Everything has a certain intention. Everything has a certain like, okay, this is what it is. And there's always going to be people who come in and want to exploit that thing or or take it mm-hmm. to the extreme for it to serve them. And that's mm-hmm. really what it is. But if it serves you, it's easy for you to exploit it and say, yeah, but I married you and I paid for you. Um and then that's just, you know, true with everything, with a lot of things, you know. So, I mean, yeah, that's that's really where I'm at. I agree. I, I, I'm I'm a full subscriber, subscriber to Lebola. I'm a full subscriber to the Push Gift. You all guys, I'm Push Gifts, I'm here push for Push presents it. are a thing, okay? I they are a thing. No, I'm we here for all of that. E-wallets. Cars, yes. I just yep. 
We need I'm it. I'm here for we all of it. it. No, I'm here we... for all of it. I really am. <laughs> like, I know. Take, I, I am pretty sure our 15-year-old selves are like, what is going on? What do you mean? What's happening? <laughs> <laughs> but it's okay because after I get those gifts, after I get those cars, 15-year-old me is going to be like, yes, that's the woman yes. you wanted to be. Yes, we support that. Soft life vibes. We love to see it. <laughs> exactly. So no, I think we've had a very interesting conversation. It's a it's a nice, it's a nice introduction to what I feel the rest of this year for the patriarchy podcast is gonna be. It really is going to be a mind shift in unlearning all these things we've learned. Mm. And I mean I think yeah, high school high school has a lot to do and in, in in just how we see ourselves, how we see each other. I mean, we could yeah. have a whole podcast about racism and just how Ooh. you know, like hanging out with your fellow black students and speaking in your native language or your home language. It was it was don't apart. even like, don't like, even get me started on that. I mean, and then a whole other conversation about how you as a black person viewed other black people leaving high school. You know what I mean? How model C schools really make you think black people are lazy and entitled and that's all they do. Mm -hmm. And you leave high school with that kind of mentality, but there's no context behind it. You know, like nobody, nobody's, nobody's giving anybody context, but there are these sweeping Mm -hmm. statements made here just about black people. So, Mm -hmm. you know, high schools, whole different thing, whole different conversation. Yeah, I think we might even need to have an episode about high school, like Model C high schools, and just the 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 infusion of racism, homophobia, Ooh. sexism, misogyny. Yeah, like <laughs> what triggered guys? Classism. <laughs> also, just add classism Ooh. on top of that, like. I, I let me tell you, sorry for another day, but I had a white girl who was my friend at the time come over to my house to do a, a project for technology in grade nine. Yeah, and we, she yeah. comes over, we did what we had to do. We left Monday comes around and now we're all sitting together, you know, at, at the table. And she says, Oh my word, Tiddy, your house is so small. Like, Oh my word. It's honestly like a matchbox. Like I had no idea you live such an, in such a small house. In front of everybody. And I'm like, but surely you could have said this to me on Sunday when you were at my house, eating my snacks, drinking my Fanta. Surely, surely you could have said this to me. Why did we have to wait for Monday so that everybody could hear you say how tiny my house is? It, it, let's put a pin on this, please, because this, we have to come back to this. We have to. We have to. <laughs> You know what? I also keep on just inviting the same people because hmm, me, I know, I remember people. I remember people who said no, even that. me. I re- I remember that specific boy who decided to pull my braid out in geography <gasps> because he was entertained. I I never hashtag God God forgives. I don't <laughs> try Jesus. Don't try me. <laughs> <laughs> like listen what? i i there's just so many traumatic experiences as black kids that we went through at model c schools like we get we got the best education but mentally emotionally physically 
high schools are the microcosms of society and our yeah. society just has racism, patriarchy, sexism, yep. homophobia, xenophobia, like yep. all of the yep. phobia just in there. All the phobias and all the isms, all of them, mm. all of them, all in one. But at such an accelerated, overwhelming rate because you're there five days yeah. a week. Exactly. All day. And, and then you're, you're there not for extramurals. If you're mm-hmm. people like me who are the, the public speaking kids, you're there at night, exactly. you know, or your white teachers are waiting with you while your parents pick you, while you're waiting for your parents to pick you up. And there's even yes. snide comments about that, about why, yes. why would your mom take so long? Why is she so late? Ma'am, my mother doesn't run a company where she can just leave when she feels like it. Mm. <laughs> um, like my mother has to work at nine to five. Okay. She works for someone. So when she can exactly. only leave at five, she can only leave at five. And that's that. And you experience it all from like your peers, your teachers as well. So it's not like there's anyone you can turn to because even your black fellow colleagues are like, but I've also been turned to. So we can't really start talking about the things we're experiencing because now we're going to be, you know, like... <laughs> We're going to pin this, guys. No, pin we need this? to pin this. Let's pin it's this. A and, and let's have a guest. Wow. Let's have a guest as well, because really, we need this. We, we need do. to heal. We need to purge and we need to heal. Oof, guys. And obviously, we will respect the institutions. We will not name and drag and shame, unless it's really bad, maybe. Yes, but, yes. You know, it's, important. it's important that I think in particular parents are aware mm. of the experiences Black children go through at these Model C schools because it's, it's it's a huge flex to say yeah oh, oh, when I go to St John's it's a big yeah. flex right yeah but Port Seppo is now being called Jonathan because Mrs you know Smith can't say Seppo but she can say she can say Tsatsavatskis or Fandamarva Fanfluyen Royen like she can say all of those but she can't say Seppo. <laughs> Hectic. Hectic. I love for the trauma, but it's true. It is so true. We went through this and it's just, it's a lot. It is a lot. No, it's a lot. So yeah, we, we, we're going to be serving the tea this year, guys. We'll serve the tea. We'll make sure it's very hot, but piping piping hot, but we'll make sure it's sweet enough for your consumption. Okay. Because Uh, obviously (laughs) what's good, what's, you know, you can't just have boiling tea and not drink it. We're going to make sure this, this podcast will come in a form that is awakening, enlightening, Mm. and also gives you the ability to say, I can change in small ways because that small change can make a huge impact for the future. And that's what we want. That's what we want. That's what we're looking for. So we are at least hoping to drop an episode a month. We know Mm -hmm. we have a a month where a scheduled lesson slash episode is there. But if we come through with some other episode where we're like, okay, girl, today or this week I went through this. Let's let's talk about it. We will talk about about it. it. (laughs) Yeah. There will be no holds but we're not gonna keep it to ourselves because we find that platform is a really good platform to vent and mm. also if you would like to vent with us be sure to slide into our dms to say listen i experienced this can we and we will allow you the opportunity to vent and talk 100 to do all the things 
So yeah, from from meet Candice and from Tuli, the girl with the most, the you know, look at your Afro puffs girl. I should also rock my Afro puffs. Why didn't I rock my Afro puffs today? <laughs> Don't you hate uh, that when you see somebody with a hairstyle, you're like, wow, that's cute. I'm gonna do that tomorrow. <laughs> Literally, I had Afro puffs yesterday. I should have, but anyway, it is what it is. Next time we'll be on the same page. I'm like, are you rocking Afro puffs today, girl? And yeah, like, yeah, okay, yeah. You know? Same t-shirt, same hairstyle. That's that's on that's on that's on that. Okay, that's on parallel we, of patriarchy. That's how we, matchy, that's matchy. How we, just, we have to match to dismantle the patriarchy. We can't just exactly. Be we have to coordinate. This is an army. Okay, it's a fight. Mm-hmm. Here we are. We need to coordinate. But anyways, Candice, thank you so much for having me um, be a co-host on this amazing platform. I'm so excited for the conversations we're having, just the stuff that we've planned and spoken about, but also the stuff that will come out in our conversations, like that's the, that's the good stuff, the stuff that you don't plan. And you're like, actually that thing, we need to talk about that thing. So if you want to join our army, guys, please make sure, please, please make sure to join our army. You have to have one thing. The Perils of Patriarchy, the book. If you yeah. don't have the book. If you don't have the book, really, what are you doing? Imagine you're listening to this podcast and you don't even have the Perils of Patriarchy. <laughs> How do you expect to join the army if you can't even pass the first test? The first How test will be you? about the book. Exactly. Imagine. How dare you? It's actually disrespectful on, if you're listening to this and you don't have the book. So go ahead Imagine. and get the book. And you can get it anyway. Don't say, oh, but I'm in, you know, I'm in Zambia or I'm in Russia or I'm in France. We worldwide, baby. We worldwide. (laughs) Pom, 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 pom. Did you hear that? We're worldwide. You can get it anywhere. Literally, just go on our website, go on the book, you put your your address, and it is there. You can get it. So you have no excuse. You have no excuse. So that's on purge. And that's on (laughs) purge. Patriarchy. That's on Patriarchy. I don't know. Oh my God, that doesn't sound right. It doesn't sound right, but we're going to do it. It's on Patriarchy. It's on the pearls of Patriarchy, okay? That's that's how we're going with it. So, how I end this off is we end off with saying, and remember, the Patriarchy isn't going to fight itself. 